Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a hotel room in, guess where? New York City. That's right. The Sully Baseball Tour of the Northeast has made another stop, and that is New York City. I lived in New York City for 15 years of my life. I met my wife here. My kids were born here. And oddly, this is the first time in the Obama presidency that I have stepped foot in this city. I haven't been here since 2008 which was, you know, Bush was still in office. The last time I was here was for the wedding of my buddy Richie Duncan, who's been a guest on several podcasts. And that's a mind-boggling thing to me. Absolutely mind-boggling thing. You know, if you know me, and I know I do, you know that I love New York City. I, you know, I got to just tell you, when I think about my childhood, And we moved around a little bit, but the majority of it was spent in the suburbs of Boston. And I I fell in love with New York City intellectually when I saw photographs of it and pictures of it and everything. But the first time I really came to New York, I was about 10 years old. It was November of 1982. We took a trip down here. And this was when New York City was still kind of dirty. You know, this was the just six years after Ford to City dropped dead and, you know, the, the Bronx is burning and everything. And I, or my family had lived in Europe for a couple of years. I saw wonderful things when I was in Europe. I've seen the majesty of the Alps and of Paris and Rome and everything by the time I was 10 years old because, you know, my father worked in Europe for a couple of years and we lived there with him. And to me, nothing, nothing ever rivaled the beauty of New York City in, in 82. And now it's cleaned up. Now you get like the, the was it the, the skyline, you have the, the Freedom Tower, all these things. I mean, it's, the city is just lush. There's trees out there. So things are in bloom here in, in, in the, you know, here in June in, in, in New York City. It's just gorgeous. The weather is perfect. And I think about that time when I was 10 years old, and I just, I couldn't stop looking around. I kept staring at the tops of buildings, staring at the Chrysler Building. went to the top of the Empire State Building, the top of the Twin Towers. And just, I mean, it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw, the most beautiful place I had ever been. And I was kind of obsessed with the movie King Kong. At the time, uh, I could probably do a King Kong uh, podcast if I ever wanted to do it. And, and by the way, I'm going to be a guest on a podcast coming up pretty soon called the Indiana Jones Minute, where we break down the film Raiders of the Lost Ark minute by minute. And I was a guest on three or four episodes of that. So I'll keep an eye on Sully Baseball on Twitter and you can you know, hear my episodes there. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. When I went to the Empire State Building when I was 10 years old, I had with me a little plastic gorilla, like a toy gorilla, that I dubbed King Kong. 
and I would hold it up when I was there as if I was picturing Kong on top of the Empire State Building and top of the World Trade Center as well because of the, the, the goofy remake with Jeff Bridges and Jessica Lange. But yeah, I just instantly fell in love with the city and my father who went to Columbia uh, took me up to Columbia University and I looked around and said, let me tell you something. I instantly knew where I was going to go to college. I was going to go to Columbia. And I, I wore my dad's Columbia sweatshirt and it became the focus of my life to get to Columbia University because this is where I was going to go to college. And an interesting thing about Columbia University, they have a thing called an academic requirement. And your pal Sully didn't quite make it. They didn't really care that my dad went to Columbia. They said, Sully, you're a nice guy. You make us laugh. But the simple fact of the matter is, we're Columbia. Maybe you should apply somewhere else. And I did. I wound up going to New York University, and I went to college here. And from the time I went to college in uh, 1990 to 2005, the birth of my kids, I lived in New York, and I really, really thought, that I was going to live in New York the rest of my life. And instead, off, I, was, I was entrenched. I thought I was going to become a New York institution. Sully. New York institution in the, the borough of Manhattan. You can't get me out of this city. And, but instead, I went to California. And I've been in California for so long that the idea of me moving back here is you know, really, it's just not something that's going to happen. As much as I love New York City, unless someone offers me a great, great job, you know, I really don't see it happening. Which kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Does that sound familiar? Something that was entrenched years of... of Emotion, years of, oh, dedication, and oddly a sense of, well, do you know what? It's going to go away now. going to go away to California. Kind of like the Giants. Kind of like the Dodgers. That you had those two teams that for generations were the teams that you think about in New York. Lest we forget. That the Giants, at one point, were the baseball team of New York. Absolutely, they were the team of New York. Now, the Giants went all the way back to their first year, which was in 1883, when they were the New York Gothams. Okay? But they were in first, you know, then the, in the 1880, that was 1883. And they had first place finishes in the, in the 1880s in the 1890s, and then when, the, really when we look at when baseball really began at the beginning of the 20th century when there was an American League and the National League, the Giants, let's not forget, between 1904 and 1937, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 12, 13,
14 first place finishes over a 36 year stretch. That's better than one out of every three years they're finishing in first. And a bunch of those years they finished in second, and a couple times they got really, really close. You know, the Merkel Boner year of uh, uh, 1908, yeah, they finished two games out in 1927, two games out in 1928, only five games out in 1930, two games out in 1934. I mean, the Giants were the team until the arrival of Babe Ruth. And and even then, there was a period where if you were in New York and you remained a Giant fan at the beginning of Babe Ruth's time, you could say, hey, it's still a Giants town because head-to-head, the Giants beat the Yankees the first two times. The Yankees finally won in 1923. And the Giants won four straight pennants in the 1920s. And I talked about this on a previous podcast, that John McGraw desperately wanted um, Babe Ruth as a member of the Giants. He tried to get Babe Ruth to be uh, a Giant because they were both from Baltimore and he had his eye on him, And um, <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen much to John McGraw's consternation. But the Giants were... When you think about the figures in, in New York, whether it's Christy Matthewson, whether it's John McGraw, whether it's Willie Mays, those are colossal figures in the history of New York baseball. And the Giants have become kind of an afterthought in a strange way in the history of New York baseball. And then, of course, you had the Dodgers, whose oh, very existence, the ripples of the identity of the Dodgers are still felt in Flatbush, even though the Dodgers haven't played there since 1957. Now, let's use the rule of seven here, okay? That means if you were born after 1950, you don't really have a memory of the Dodgers existing in Brooklyn. That means anyone 66 years or younger, doesn't really remember the three teams, the Giants, Dodgers, and Yankees in New York. If you're, if you're younger than your mid-60s, that's all nostalgia. That's all black and white clips. But the interesting thing that I find is the fact that New York in 1958, 1959, 1960, in 1961, one, two, three, for four years, New York was a one-team town. And that's a strange thing because you think of New York as being this market that is so gigantic that having just one team is just incomprehensible. But there was a, that was that period of time where the Yankees were the only team in town. And, of course, you had that one year, 1959, where you did not have, that was the first time since 1948 that you did not have any New York team in the World Series, and that's when you had the White Sox play the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I read this great article in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle from that time 
that was saying it's unbelievable that fans in Brooklyn are rooting for the White Sox over the Dodgers. But that period of time, you had this great huge city was a one-team town. And you, you would think you would see a sharp increase in attendance between 1957 and 1958, but you actually saw a drop in attendance. The Yankees won the World Series in 1958, and they were the world champions, and they were the only team in New York, and attendance fell. Now, one of the things that was interesting is that I, I talked a little bit about the advent of the Continental League. And the Continental League was a third major league that was going to address the fact that baseball wasn't really keeping up with the geographical changes in the country. And you, you, you saw the Boston Braves move to Milwaukee, the St. Louis Browns move to Baltimore, the Philadelphia A's became the Kansas City A's. But you were having trouble seeing that you know, there was still a lot of markets that were untouched, that, 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 were, that needed, a, needed a home. And the Continental League that was set up, uh, Branch Rickey, whether or not he really was the head of it or was just kind of a, a titular head to it, titular head, titular head, try to say that a bunch of times fast, that they were going to create a new league that was going to take on the major leagues. And they were going to put a team in L.A. They were going to put a team in Denver, Dallas, Toronto. Um, one of the places they were going to put a team was New York City. And the, the lawyer, Mr. William Shea, the Shea Stadium was named after him, really spearheaded that whole movement. What I found fascinating is the fact that the idea of new leagues popping up and challenging the entrenched leagues was something that was coming up in the 1960s as you know football was expanding, football was adapting beautifully to television, it was becoming a bigger, bigger factor. Uh, I'm re I read this wonderful Sabre article at Sabre.com called The Mismanagement of the American League Expansion of 1961. It was, uh, it was from a uh, publication called the, the National Pastime. It's written by Eric Thompson and Andy McCoo. And in this article, they talked about how the pressure of the Continental League and its potential threat of the antitrust exemption on baseball forced the hand of baseball to expand into Houston um, and there was kind of a and into New York to put another team into New York and there was a little bit of a panic in terms of what the heck to do with another team that the twins wound up moving to uh, the the Washington Senators wound up moving and becoming the Minnesota Twins and without a team in Washington DC the American League expanded into Washington, expanded back into Washington, D.C. instead of going to Dallas, which is bizarre in a way when you realize the franchise they created, the Senators, the new Senators, eventually became the Texas Rangers. It's all sorts of crazy. I mean, I love reading about what could have been, what, where this could have been, that could have been, and that the National League was trying to put you know, their stakes in the ground everywhere and that the American League seemed to be a little, little bit more 
disorganized, a little disheveled in terms of where they were going to expand. They were threatening to expand more and less and this and that and the other thing. But imagine if that didn't happen. Would New York be a one-team town? Could that have existed? Could that have, you know, it, you know, eventually, I believe, if the Mets weren't formed, you would have seen another team move to New York City, whether it would be the Braves, whether it would be, um, you know, the Senators. Some other team would have eventually moved to New York. And, but the 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 creation of the Mets, who were playing in the compromised site of Flushing Meadows, that's where the city wanted to move the Dodgers. You know, there's, there's a, all these tiny things in motion that could have happened. What if the Dodgers had moved to Flushing Meadow? That was where the city wanted them to go. The Dodgers wanted to build a dome in where the Barclay Center is now in Brooklyn. The city countered with Flushing Meadows. The Dodgers said, no way, we're not going to play there. And eventually they went off to L.A. and the Giants moved off and it became a one-team city. Could that have lasted? Could you have had eventually the fans of New York say, ah, the heck with it. We're just going to be Yankee fans. And eventually the idea of the Dodgers and the Giants fans hating the Yankees would eventually smooth away. Or were the Mets an inevitability? Was the move to L.A. an inevitability? You know, it was originally the Senators who were being courted. Imagine if the Mets had decided, you know what, we're going to just move to Flushing Meadow. We're going to stay here. Eventually, they would have moved back to Brooklyn. Eventually, and that would have been this great moment and everything like that, and the people in Flushing would be mad in this, that, and the other thing. But so many tiny factors, when you look at the fact that New York had this amazing rich history and those teams were taken away and something new was put in there and that new team should be celebrated for everything that they meant to the city and the rebuilding and the, re the revitalization of the city from the 60s through today. And like me, those teams that now exist in California are so entrenched there and so part of the landscape that it's difficult to imagine the Dodgers and the Giants existing anywhere else for someone my age. The Giants are San Francisco. The Dodgers are Los Angeles. That's what happens when a team uproots. And one of the things that I'm doing in this whole trip back there is back here to the East Coast is getting a handle of where I came from and showing my kids where I came from and giving them a, an idea of a little bit of where their daddy and where they, because they were born here too, you know, where they originated from and, and the chain reaction events that made my life. And I love New York, but I don't think I'm moving back. If you had told me that as I was walking around wanting to go to Columbia and living in New York during those 15 magical years, I would have thought you were crazy. 
just like if I went back in time to the 1950s. Something I would like to go back in time just to see games in those three parks. But if I had told you, do you know what? In a couple of generations, the idea of the Dodgers even being in Brooklyn would be just an intellectual exercise and not a reality. You would think I was absolutely bonkers. And you would look at me and say, how the hell did you time travel? Well, I promise you that I will cover time travel in another podcast. But the fact of the matter is, we're running out of time here. So I'll explain how to bend the rules of physics and time and space at another time. For now, go to MLBreports.com to check out the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe at iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski from New York City, a city I really, really love. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.